Welcome to Center Stage with international opera star Pamela Kuhn. And now, here is your host, Pamela Kuhn. And the curtain is up on Center Stage, the show about the arts and the artists behind their work. The art of listening, really listening, can be a profound source of power. How many times have we all missed opportunities by not listening closely enough to much needed information? How many times have we heard the greatest actors in our midst talking about the need for real listening in their acting? So their theatrical responses are always honest and solid. Listening prepares all of us to possess the potential to be led into another world of creativity that we form relationship with and can be transformative to our lives. When I was building my own singing career in London in the 80s, Little, little did I know that there was a young man in Liverpool who was discovering his own musical tastes through being drawn to the record collections in local public libraries. He discovered the power of listening as a means of carving out his passion. He was young and surprisingly not searching out the recordings of the popular music of the time, like that of Queen, Duran Duran, or The Police but rather he was looking to discover classical music, and particularly that of concert pianists such as Wilhelm Kempf and the titan legend of that era, Alfred Brendel. There were no teachers available to teach him piano, so he started to teach himself by listening to the recordings he gathered. His father was a dock worker for the Port of Liverpool. His mother worked a job at the Housing Benefit Office of Knowlesley District Council, These were parents who did not know about music, but they soon recognized their son's dedication and passion. With their support, he was admitted to a prestigious music school in the area and went on to study at the Guildhall School of Music, where he would meet and eventually become the student of that aforementioned titan, Alfred Brendel. You see, the power of listening is a profound thing, and when allowed to lead us to our bliss, the real work and the real talent unfolds. The young man that I am speaking about is British-born pianist Paul Lewis, one of the most talented pianists in the world right now. This initially self-taught prodigy has gone on to shake the world to recognize the inner genius of Beethoven and Schubert. Known for his attention to detail and elegant, elegant delicacy, critics loud him with praise as being masterful in style. He has performed with almost every major orchestra and conductor in the world, is the artistic director of the Midsummer Music Festival in the UK, has now been appointed as one of the artistic directors of the Leeds International Piano Competition, and has amassed dozens of honors to his name. Perhaps the most recently noteworthy is the CBE that has been bestowed to him by the Queen herself in her 90th birthday honors. Center Stage is recording today from the well-known recording studio of Sean Swinney in Midtown Manhattan, where I am happy to introduce my guest, pianist Paul Lewis. Welcome, Paul. I am honored to have you here. Wonderful to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much. I know you've just arrived in America, and I know know you're uh, you're going on to several concerts from here. Um, Thanks for, for stopping in and having this chat. Um, you know, I'm, I'm intrigued with your curiosity uh, and self-motivation as a child about classical music. Was there a trigger to this when you were growing up? I don't remember there being a trigger. I don't know where it came from, really. 
I remember um, for Christmas when I was, I think I was four, um, I, I got one of these toy organs as a, as a Christmas present. It had about an octave and a bit of, of keys on it. And I, and I do remember just starting to pick out tunes and mum and dad sort of looking a bit puzzled, thinking, where did that, <laughs> that come from? Um, so it, it sort of started then, in a way. I don't know where the desire to, to discover classical music came from. I guess partly it could have been that there was none of it at home. Uh, and I went to the local library and noticed that they had all these records, all these LPs, mm-hmm. and, and wondered what that was about. And mm-hmm. it, was just some, it was just something that didn't exist at home. So maybe I was, I was drawn to it because, precisely for that reason, because it didn't exist. And I wanted to find out about it. And did you find out as well about Duran Duran and the police and Queen and others? Well, you know, <laughs> I, I mean, that, that was all around you. That, that was mm-hmm. on the, the, the radio and, mm-hmm. you know, you couldn't escape from that. So I knew about all that. But I wasn't into it. I, I was very, I, I felt quite outside in a way, you know, with all my, my friends who were into all that. But it didn't bother me really, mm-hmm. because I felt that, that classical music was something that it was my thing. Yeah. And that, that was, that was, it probably, probably saved me from all sorts of things, you know, growing up. In uh, probably, <laughs> probably. And were you drawn specifically to the piano? Yeah, physically the piano felt like my instrument. There, there was um, no piano teacher at school. You know, we had this system of peripatetic teachers who right. go around and right. teach instrumental um, lessons. Uh, but there was no piano teacher. There was a cello teacher who had a vacancy, so I started the cello when I was eight, um, which is something I certainly don't regret, although anyone who heard me play might regret it, because uh, <laughs> I wasn't very good. But um, I had a great time with playing in local youth orchestras and, and all that sort of thing. It was, you know great experience and to to at least have have had some experience of another instrument i think is 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 nice and i married a cellist in the end i know it's incredible how this has come (laughs) full circle so when you first sat down to your first real piano and you teaching yourself this is extraordinary to me were you just were you just listening to recordings and trying to to mimic what you heard, basically? Sort of, and I was improvising a lot. I think it was mm. mainly improvising. Oh, okay, just finding my way around the instrument. Um, so I did a lot of that. It, it's strange because you know, that that was most of what I was doing in those days. I find it really hard to improvise now. I think it's it's right. one of those cases of you know if you don't use it, you lose it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But but that's that's where it started. And I remember, um, you know, my, my school teachers were incredibly accommodating when I, when I think back. I would record myself improvising on, uh, it actually, I actually had a kind of organ to begin with before I got a mm-hmm. proper piano. And I'd, I'd record, oh, I don't know, 20 minutes of improvisations and just take them into school. And they would actually play it to the class. I mean, it must have been terrible. You know, it must have it must have been absolutely dreadful. But I suppose they were just puzzled and curious and um, slightly, um, I, I, I don't know, sort of wondering what what this eccentric um, and helping you find your way and helping my me yeah. find my way. Yeah, exactly. I think that sounds wonderfully supportive. <laughs> yes, no, yeah. it was. I, I think there was a lot of support, like my, my parents who 
didn't know a lot about music mm -hmm. at all, really knew zero about classical music, um, but they were nothing other than supportive the whole way. That's fantastic. Were there advantages to the fact that they didn't really know about music? Perhaps. Um, yeah, in, in the sense that they didn't push me in one right. direction or another. Right. It made you stronger, perhaps. Yeah, well, I, I had to discover it all myself. That, mm -hmm. that was the thing. So I had to go out and find it. And, you know, the, the best way you learn, I suppose, is to, to discover something for yourself and make all the mistakes you need to make. Um, mm -hmm. You know, with uh, already sort of years of mistakes behind you, um, that's, it, it's, you know, there's quite a, a foundation of, of something there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, when I look back, I'm, I'm quite grateful that, that mum and dad um, didn't know much about classical music and, and didn't try to influence my, my direction in, mm -hmm. in any way. And you found your own way quite yeah. well. Fantastic. As you grow older, do you think you still possess this wonderful self-motivation for discovery and, and listening, as you once did, for finding new music? I, I hope so. Um, I, I do listen a lot, and I, I'd say I'm quite a hard worker. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I do work very hard at it, probably because I'm not talented enough not to work hard you see what I mean mm -hmm. I, can't, I can't wing things I have to <laughs> I have to really knuckle down um so I, I still have yeah I still have a drive I mean it's just a love of music really and if you love music and you want to to be involved in, with it and, and have a life with it then how can you not be motivated really mm -hmm. you know you it's it's something that it's it's such a huge part of your life and it becomes a lifestyle as well Fantastic. When, when you first got to the Guildhall, a place which I love, um, did you foresee yourself as a performer then? Well, at that point, I'd, I'd started to play small concerts and I'd started to do a few competitions and things. Um, so, yeah, I suppose I, I at that point I was thinking, well, this this would be a life that, that would be that would be nice to imagine playing playing concerts, although when I got to London, London felt very big and you know, I'd, go, I'd go to concerts at the Festival Hall and the Barbican and, and do these places and look at people playing these concerts and think how terrifying it must be to walk out on that stage. Mm -hmm. um, so in that sense, I, I felt it was going to be a long journey if, uh, for me mm -hmm. to, to, to get there, if ever, you know, if, if at all. Um, but I guess you, you go through life and for me, things have built very slowly. You know, I, I was never an, uh, an overnight mm -hmm. um, whatever. You know, I was never a prodigy or anything like that. And I'm, I, I'm very grateful that it has been bit by bit, you know, that it's just been building slowly because I don't think I could have handled it any other way. You know, I look at some pianists in their, in their 20s who suddenly become really well known and suddenly have hundreds of the highest profile concerts. Yes. yes. Um, and I think it's it's amazing how they handle that. Or they I, don't. Or yeah. they well, mm -hmm. or they don't. This is this is the danger. But I know from my point of view, I certainly couldn't have handled that. Mm -hmm. I, I would have been destroyed by it. Mm -hmm. I know that. 
Mm-hmm. It's so interesting. You know, it's it, now that I get to meet you, uh, it's confirmed to me how really beautifully introverted you are. And I know when I was looking at your photos before this interview, I kept thinking, what a thoughtful soul. Um, and when I hear your Beethoven, <laughs> I know you're willing to go deep inside um, to find something out, to really flesh out something so, so deep that speaks to you specifically. Is, and is that the, the basis of your music making? Yeah, I, I think, of course, music has so many sides to it. Um, but for me, it's, it's the music which is most introverted that is the most powerful. Mm-hmm. You know, when Schubert whispers, mm-hmm. that's when he's at his most dramatic. It's not, it's not when he shouts. Um, I guess shouting has an effect, but it lasts for less time. It has less of an effect than, than something which really, the, which you have to go towards, which draws you in. Mm-hmm. That's, for me, the music which is most profound and which Agreed. you can take you know, a, a real experience from. Um, and I guess that's, that's just the kind of music I'm most drawn to. That's why I go towards Schubert and... Exactly. <laughs> and Schubert songs, of course, as yeah. well. Um, in, in 2010, you became the first pianist to perform a complete Beethoven piano concerto cycle in one season at the proms. Now, I, I'm sure the interest was, was there for your public, but what did it bring to you? What, what discoveries did you find within the works on stage? I mean, I, I know, you know, in performance, sometimes things come to us that haven't, you know, revealed themselves in rehearsal. Yeah. I mean, what, what an oeuvre of work for you. I think every time you perform something, you, you learn something that, that you couldn't have learned just by practicing or just by working at it for yourself mm-hmm. you know there's the something that, that that comes to light um that summer of 2010 was was a very intense experience um you know i, I played beethoven concerto cycles before but to play it at the proms was it felt like quite a responsibility mm-hmm. um but i was fortunate to have fantastic partnerships um yeshi belaklavek andres nelson's mm-hmm. um who i did the, the second concerto with, um, it wasn't long after he'd started as principal conductor of CBSO. This was just, this was six years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark Elder with the Halle and Stefan Deneuve with um, the Royal Scottish National Orchestra. So, I, you know, th- they were really great partnerships uh, and I felt so well supported in that. But, but specifically with these partnerships, there's the, the, the kind of conductors, the kind of musicians where you you really can discover something new every time. I mean, a- Andres, I'm about to go up to Tanglewood and play Brahms D minor with, with Andres. It's, it's amazing. It's a roller coaster ride every time. You mm-hmm. know, it's, yeah. it's something new around every corner. Yes, one of my favorite concertos in the world, I must say. Um, last, interview, uh, last year, I interviewed tenor Mark Padmore before his performances of the three Schubert song cycles, Winterreise, Schwanigazong, and Dishona Millerin, um, that you have both recorded together for Harmonia Mundi. Sadly, you weren't able to play for him then. But as I said to you off the record just a few minutes ago, both you and Mark have been described by the Telegraph in London as the ideal partnership. I see similarities in both of you with a a unique sense of excavation of the music at hand. Um, How do you view your partnership with with the wonderful Mark Padmore? 
it, it's it's fantastic. I, I just love working with Mark, and I haven't worked with a lot of singers. Um, I, I've worked with Mark a lot now, and with other singers occasionally. But it's it's always something different with Mark. It, it, it really is a, a special. It feels like a special partnership, mm-hmm. and it's got to the point where. We've just we just did Winterizer again a couple of times a, a few weeks ago, and you know uh, we, we we do rehearse it. We still you know we we discuss things, but in fact it's not in the rehearsal now. It's in the performances mm-hmm. that new things happen, mm-hmm. and it feels like uh, after I think nearly ten years of working together, we we trust each other enough that we can each do things and just know that the other will will be there. Mm-hmm. And it seems it seems to work like that. And it really, so it's got to that point where it really is the performance where things change and things develop How and, and evolve. You know, in in that way, do you prefer um, recital work to working with orchestras? That all depends on the orchestra and the conductor. Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, recital. If if it's just me, then it's it's just me and the music, uh, yeah. which is fairly. Well, I guess it's as straightforward as it gets. Yeah. Uh, not that straightforward, but you know, relatively speaking, uh, with a, a an established partnership like with Mark, um, you know, it's it's fantastic. It, it really to, to to feel that that give and take, mm. and to be able to to play with it. It's wonderful. Obviously, you have less of that with an orchestra, but when you do develop um, a long-standing partnership with a with a conductor specifically, with an orchestra, um, you, there are elements of that, that that come into play. I think you can feel that 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 give and take. It just takes it just takes longer, really, mm-hmm. to develop that kind of trust. Mm-hmm. I think with with a conductor. That's a orchestra. very good point about the trust, and of course, the relationship you have with Mark and with Stephen Osborne. I feel in your in your uh, piano collaborations is something else, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's it's formulated on that very deep trust. Um, was your work with Mark Padmore in the Schubert Song Cycle recordings a complement to the Schubert piano music from the last six years of his life that you were also recording? Yeah, I think we recorded. Uh, when was it now? I think we recorded the the three song cycles just before I started um, recording the the last six years of the of the piano music. But that Schubert series that I did over those two years, um, quite a few of the venues that took the series included the three song cycles as well. Mm-hmm. It, uh, so it, it it tied in nicely with that so it was it was part of that project yeah mm, interesting journey isn't it oh it's amazing you really love Schubert don't you yeah it's like having a personal relationship when I first played the uh the sonatas I just did a sonata cycle back in 2001 um and it was the first time I'd done that kind of series you know devoted a year to to one thing and it really felt like a a, a stormy relationship you know relationship that's that's rewarding in so many ways but that has its ups and downs Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and really goes quite deep you know touches nerves that are quite uncomfortable and because so much so much of that music um deals with things that i guess we do find uncomfortable the feeling of loss and longing and nostalgia and 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 these things that that can be quite difficult to address sometimes but schubert gets straight to the to the heart of it in his music 
And then, of course, in the last years in his life, he, he knew his uh, health was failing. And he really felt that a certain light had gone out, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. You, you feel, yeah, you, you do feel that sense in his, in his last works. Um, but there's also a sense of, of hope, of, of something else, or of, of acceptance, mm-hmm. I feel. Mm-hmm. That, that, of, that there's a sense that, okay, there's an inevitability about this. He's not, right. he's not fighting against it in the way that Beethoven would yes. absolutely resist something. <laughs> With Schubert, it's, it's more of a feeling of acceptance I, I, for, for me. Mm-hmm. And whereas Beethoven, I always think that this is one of the big differences between these two composers where Beethoven is the great uh, resolver. You know, he finds a resolution. He answers questions mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. He, he finds a way through. Whereas Schubert is happy to, to leave questions unanswered yes there's a vulnerability about that which in a way you know you could say that beethoven is a a, a superhuman composer whereas schubert is really completely human Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that it reflects what we are as as people more more realistically in beethoven we find another dimension i suppose you know he takes us somewhere else somewhere we'd like to be perhaps, exactly. but, but we can't always find. Exactly, as you say, wrestling with. And I know with Schubert, I'm thinking of the songs right now with Schubert, but that beauty of going into the pain and really painting it rather than running away from it. Yeah, yeah. Which is always marvelous yeah. and always transformative. Yeah. As, and as Mark Padmore so well put in our last interview, uh, Zenzucht, mm-hmm. that, that sense of longing. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> it's interesting. Um, well, you are now embarking on several weeks of performances in the United States. So you, we have the Mostly Mozart Festival and Tanglewood, and then on to Ravinia. Um, tell me, do you think there's a difference in programming styles between Europe and uh, the U.S.? I don't know, really. Uh, when I look at the, the programs, uh, for, for instance... Um, I'm playing Brahms D minor next week in Tanglewood. There's a Brahms symphony in the, the second half of the concert. I think, I think the first symphony, in fact. When I think about the last few performances of Brahms D minor, it's probably a coincidence, but, but it's also been Brahms' first symphony in the, in the second half, and they've been around Europe. There's a Bruckner symphony, I think, in the second half of Beethoven, and mm-hmm. it seems fairly... Fairly similar, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know whether it's, it's become more similar in recent years. Um, but no, I, I don't notice a, a huge difference in programming. Although, you know, I guess from one orchestra, from one city to another, um, you might have more emphasis on certain things, like new music, for mm-hmm. instance. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm not sure that's a, a country thing. I think that that's a more specific thing to, to a particular orchestra or... Or a town. And do you like the New York vibe? Oh, I love the New York vibe. <laughs> it was when I first came here, which was in about, oh, when was it, 2000 or something? Um, it was pretty overwhelming, I have to say, mm-hmm. New York. I mean, it's crazier than London. <laughs> yes, it is, in another way. What, what was the first concert you played here? First time I played here was. Um, on this new generation scheme or rise, no, ri- rising star scheme. That's what it's called. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
So I played in in Weil, and mm-hmm. then shortly after that played a, um, a kind of a Lincoln Center debut in the Walter Reed Theater. You know that they have the Excellent. debut recitals there. So that was what sixteen years ago or something. Um, but but New York at that time was, you know, I, I felt quite overwhelmed by mm-hmm. it. I mean, there's a there's certainly a New York vibe, but I guess there are many different types of New York vibes depending on which <laughs> area of New York you, you find yourself. Um, and and for me, the, the next few visits were a, a, for me it's a question of just finding my New York and then going from there. And right. and since you know, it's sort of right. building on that. And for years now, I just uh, you know I've been so excited to come to New York every time. I love coming here. Following on the heels of his Tanglewood performances, Paul Lewis is performing August 2nd at 10 p.m. at the Mostly Mozart Festival in Kaplan Penthouse, a sublime evening of intimate music including the Schubert Sonata in B Major, D575, and four Brahms Ballades, Opus 10. He then, he then moves on to the Ravinia Festival to perform the Beethoven Fourth Piano Concerto. Don't miss this artist, ladies and gentlemen. And 
here we are at Sean Sweeney's studio on West 54th in Manhattan. We have with us a virtuoso pianist, Paul Lewis. We wish you all the very best, Paul, and thank you so much for being with us on Center Stage. Thank you. Thank you. All the best to you. you. And ladies and gentlemen, the curtain is now down. (laughs) 